Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. And welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR 855 AM, 3CR Digital Radio and 3cr.org.au. My name is Kaylin, and from the Brainwaves team we have Susie and Rachel. And today we'll be chatting with Sally who will be sharing with us her personal experience of living with bipolar, experiencing suicide ideation and the loss of a loved one by suicide. This is a very challenging topic and we would like our listeners to know that there is help available should this be triggering for you. You can contact Lifeline on 131114 as well as a suicide callback service on 1300 659 467 and Beyond Blue also offers support and they can be contacted on 1300 224636. I'm Susie and I would like to take this opportunity to thank um uh, Rachel for coming in to assist with this show. It's wonderful to have Sally on the show today. I have known Sally for around three years as she is a human rights activist like myself. Sally is also an artist, a teacher and she suffers with bipolar disorder. Her family has a diverse history of mental illness and last year sadly her brother Zach took his own life after suffering depression for a long time. Sally advocates for mental health to be responded to through the social model lens of disability. Sally uses her creativity as a tool for mental well-being and to break down stigma. Sally frequently shares her experiences on social media, enabling her friends and others to garner some understanding of her condition. Hello Sally and welcome to Brainwaves. Hello and thank you very much for having me on the show today. It's a pleasure. Um, Sally, can you tell us and our listeners when you first realised you may be suffering from a mental illness? That is, how old were you and what were the circumstances? I felt something was different about me when I was a child, Um, but I thought that it was because um, I was a hippie, actually, because my family is alternative and I grew up in a small rural town and people used to call us hippies, so I thought that that's why I felt different to everybody else. But then as I grew up and um, became a teenager, I I really felt up and down in my moods and in my understandings of what was happening, and I found life to be very difficult. Then I started to experience some um, sensory hallucinations. I started to feel like there were bugs crawling under my skin quite often, and my mum took me to the doctors, and I ended up being seen by a psychologist and a psychiatrist who diagnosed me with depression at the time. Um, My mum thought that I had bipolar disorder, but um, when I went to those practitioners, they didn't think that I had it, and it wasn't until later on in life that I was diagnosed. Okay, so your mum um, was right in the end, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it must be hard as well because as a teenager, we all have, as teenagers, have had um, mood swings, Um, so, you know, it's hard to understand what's normal and what isn't. Yeah, 
yeah, exactly. Mm. And it still is in some ways. Yeah. Mm. Very, very difficult. Um, Sally, you've told me previously that you experience um, suicide ideation very regularly and you have done for a long time. Um, what does this involve and, more importantly, what strengths and techniques do you use to overcome these thoughts, in particular your use of creativity? Yeah, so on an almost daily basis I think about suicide and I um, imagine how I would do it. And it used to really scare me and I felt really frightened um, about it and worried that I would take that on as an action. Um, so I started to turn it into a bit of a theatre in my mind. So it was, I'd make it like I'm watching a show about myself, um, but it's away from myself. So rather than resisting these thoughts, I've learnt to, um, to embrace it as a sort of creative show in my mind and I watch it play out in my head. Yeah. Um, and somehow by not resisting it, I, I can actually just watch it play mm. um, and it helps me to take myself out of the ideation and into the place of a spectator. And when I do that, it really affects me emotionally and upsets me to the point that I automatically feel a desire to do something else. Um, and that's when kind of my um, mindset kicks in that I need to do something to get out of this. Yeah. And I usually turn to creativity to help me. Um, that's always been a tool to get me out of my head and into my body. So I tend to um, gravitate towards creation rather than destruction. And I paint mm. and sculpt and sing and write um, so that I can assist with my well-being and get myself out of that mindset. Yeah, and I've um, I've seen some of your work, and you're very talented. Um, also, you. um, just as a counsellor, I do know that you can't. You're saying that you sit back and observe your thoughts. I, mm. I do know that you can't actually stop thoughts. So that is actually mm. a technique that's very. I think it has empirical evidence behind it to watch from a distance. So it's good that you came up with that. Um, yeah, so, I just found that resisting doesn't help. So, no, it doesn't. Know, it's kind of um, it's better to just embrace it and let it pass. Um, Sally, Rachel's just going to ask you a few questions about, sure. uh, just to go into a little bit more detail about bipolar, if that's okay. Okay, so um, I know you've talked a little bit about the symptoms that you had. Um, could you just introduce the listeners to what exactly bipolar disorder is and the typical symptoms that other people might have? Yep, so um, bipolar disorder is a mood disorder. Mm -hmm. And it impacts a person's mood and therefore their thinking and behaviour and processing. So there's a couple of different types of bipolar um, and I'll just talk about three of the main types. The first type is bipolar 1 and that's when a person has had at least one manic episode in their life and mania is an extreme high that affects a person's ability to function well. Um, the second type is bipolar 2 which is a person who, when a person has had depressive and hypermanic episodes. So those hypermanic episodes are not full-blown mania. They're um, lesser in their strength. Um, and you need to have had um, at least one of hypermanic episode and a major depressive episode um, to be diagnosed with bipolar 2. And in that instance, um, a person doesn't experience full-blown mania. Okay. Then there's a third, which is less, less known about, which is called cyclothymic disorder which is when a person experiences hypermania 
and depressive symptoms, but the hypermania and the depressive symptoms are not as severe as bipolar 1 or bipolar 2, um, but they still negatively impact a person's life. Mm. So those are the three main types. There are another, a couple of other types um, that are less known about, um, and I'm, I'm not as well-versed about those ones because mm-hmm. I have bipolar 1, so I experience extreme mood swings that range from mania to de- ma- major depression, mm-hmm. which basically means extreme highs to extreme lows. And within these different states, there's a whole range of symptoms that um, I experience and other people experience. So for me personally, with depression, I feel negative and reclusive and somber and suicidal. I feel empty and angry and irritated. And I have a tendency to withdraw from people in life as much as I can. And on the other spectrum, with mania, I'm energetic and productive and efficient and passionate. Mm -hmm. And I get involved in lots of things and take greater risks. But the downside to that is the lack of awareness around actions and behaviour and a constant feeling of being irritated and impatient and engaging in self-destructive behaviours without realising. And then there can also be paranoia and delusional aspects of that as well. So in between that, you know, those extremes, I have clarity and I can regulate my moods and take care of myself quite well. But when I'm down or when I'm too up, it's very difficult to um, to manage that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, when I'm high, I might experience sensory hallucinations like bugs under my skin or a strong taste of metal in my mouth. Sometimes I feel like water is dripping down my body when I'm actually dry. Um, I'll feel anxiety and insomnia um, and this sort of excessive electric energy that I can't contain. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I rapid cycle, which has nothing to do with riding your bicycle. Mm-hmm. Um, it means that your moods change very quickly and dramatically. Um, and so what I've realized is that a lot of the time I have these early warning signs in my body, um, which I can listen to and can find that if I, if I pick it up early enough, I'll find ways to prevent my mood from changing too dramatically. Um, but for other people with these condi- this condition, they ex- can experience a whole range of symptoms, such as the ones that I've mentioned. But um, there's also lots of other hallucinations that people may experience um, and, and self-harm when they're depressed and lots of other things such as insomnia and nightmares and other things that people can get when they have bipolar disorder. It sounds very, very challenging indeed. Yeah. And what you just said about you're often fully functional, the reading that I've done on it, um, so, um, basically said that many people are fully functional between episodes, which yeah. is good, thank goodness, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that having this diagnosis has helped you any, in any way and how? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was diagnosed at 30, I'm 38 mm-hmm. now, so I first went to a psychologist when I was 16, so it's quite a long time between 16 and 30, mm. um, and I had... When I was diagnosed, it was suddenly like there was stairs where a wall had been before. Um, And I read a lot about bipolar and my whole life started to make a lot more sense. Mm. Um, But I also did feel afraid because I kind of looked back at times in my life and when I had mania and I just didn't realize that I had it. I didn't know. So that was quite frightening to realize. Mm. Um, And I had this sort of feeling before that that I was always like looking back at this big tangled mess sort of like finding a big messy ball of string and not being able to find the end. Yes. Um, and when I got diagnosed, it, it sort of I felt like I found the end of that string and I could kind of unravel that ball and figure out how it kind of got so tangled and, mm. 
it's helped me to understand myself more and, and what I need to do to stay well. Mm-hmm. Before that, I was very confused about how to be well and what to do because I didn't really understand what was happening for me. Mm-hmm. So being diagnosed helped me to understand myself better. Yeah. And, and that's been really positive. That's great. Yeah, that's good to hear. Um, what are some of the strategies that you use on a daily basis, I guess, to manage your bipolar? Um, I work a lot on creating new pathways for mm-hmm. thinking. Um, so I repeat over and over again in my head things that I, like desired thoughts that I would like to become more frequent and easy to access. Um, so I kind of compare it to like if you're going to walk up a hill that's got lots of grass on it, the first time you do it, you step on the grass and the grass bounces back up again. But every time you walk over that same patch of grass, it becomes more trodden until eventually it's a path and then you can see that path and access that path really easily. So that's what I do with my thoughts. I create new paths of thoughts that are positive and I hope that eventually some of those will become a default way of thinking rather than this other default that I don't have any control over. Mm, So this is sort of based on the idea of neuroplasticity. That's right. I'm not an expert on that, but that's something that I've looked into. And, Mm. um, yeah, I I feel it's closely related to that. So Mm. um, I do a lot of other things, but it depends on how I'm feeling, you know. So it could be creative outlets, um, nature, I find, going into nature and swimming and and doing things in nature is very calming and balancing, and that's what I'm always trying to do, be calm and balanced. So um, that's really positive for me as well. And I also find that sharing and talking to my friends when I'm well about what it looks like when I'm not well Mm. means that people can um, identify that in me and and offer support to me when I'm not aware of what's going on around me. When I'm struggling to find my own place, I have a lot of support from friends Mm. to find that place and to get connected back to me and who I really am. because I find that I need to connect with other people when I'm not well, um, mm. and I don't feel like doing that. So um, mm. allowing other people to, to say to me, Sally, I don't think you're very well, is really important. Um, but most of the time it's just me and bipolar. We just travel through life together, mm. just trying to do the best that we can, and mm. I just work a lot on my own mindset and, and try to, to, to take myself on and, and create mm. things that are positive and happy in my life. That's what I need to do. It sounds like you've really taken control, um, which is a yes. good thing. And I'm very aware that you have a lot of contact with um, um, young family members. I think it's a niece and a nephew, isn't it? Yeah. And, um, yeah, that has to be good for you. Um, oh, the children we, are the best. My yeah. nieces and nephews are like a natural antidote to mental illness. Being with them, it helps you to forget about what's happening and switches yeah. your mind to a happier place. But, yeah, that's something that that I do often is spend time with my nieces and nephews. Um, Just, you know, talking about family, um, do you feel that bipolar runs in your family? Yeah, so I have bipolar, um, like people who have had bipolar on both sides of my family. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have a grand, my grandmother, my uncle and my cousin all have bipolar. And my brother, Zach, had depression. And anxiety is quite common in my family as well. So... There's yeah. quite a few people who are experiencing yeah. mental health issues. Look, I was so sorry to hear that you lost your brother's act to suicide last year, Sally. It, um, I can't even imagine what that must have been like for you and your family. Um, you. You've been very open about this tragedy, um, which I, I admire your strength immensely. Um, can you tell us a little bit more, please, just anything that you feel you can share? Yeah. 
Um, so my brother went away for a camping trip last year um, and he became sombre and expressed suicidal thoughts to his friends. And then later in that evening, he went for a walk alone and he took his own life. Um, he'd experienced a lot of childhood bullying and this affected him massively throughout his life. And he had also been diagnosed with depression, but he he didn't accept this diagnosis. Um, and as a result, he never received any treatment or developed any tools mm. to manage his mental health. So he was, he was traveling solo with that. And um, I can't imagine how difficult that would have been for him. Um, I feel he's like a very sensitive person who struggled to cope with the harshness of the world. And I think that he was um, in a place then where he felt very stressed. He had a lot of stresses. And I felt perhaps that he took his own life because he couldn't be the person he thought he needed to be. Mm -hmm. And I think he felt that he couldn't be his true self. And and, and I think that's a big contributing factor for, he, for what happened to him. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's a very difficult um, subject. It's a subject that people don't talk about often. It's almost a taboo subject. And I thank you very much for coming in and sharing um, some of that experience with us, which... Um, My yeah. pleasure. Mm. You know, Sally, you talked about the need for mental illness to be seen through the lens of a disability. Um, how, what do you mean by that? Well, bipolar disorder is a disability. It affects a person's capacity to live fully and to thrive in our society. Um, but I also see that the barriers that we face are often a result of the society not being set up for us mm -hmm. and, and not just because of the illness. So basically my stand is mental illness should be looked at from the social model of disability, which means that illness doesn't have to be a barrier and that if society truly recognised diversity, then there would be safe places for us there would be services for us and there would be real inclusion, which meant, you know, would mean that people with mental illness wouldn't be overrepresented on New Start payments, for example, mm. locked up in jails um, and effectively disabled from thriving in the society. I feel like society has to make a space for us and modify mm. so that we can fit in, you know, so that we have a lifelong illness that's incurable. It's mm. not our fault that we have this Absolutely. illness. and. Our capabilities are different, so mm. I feel I believe that we should be accommodated for, and mm. that we should be able to attain the same standard of living as everybody else. And I just don't feel like that's happening at the moment. It's not. I feel I, that um, people are being discriminated mm. against, and, and their right, their human rights um, are not being upheld. Yes, we are. I think my observation is that there's been a small amount of progression. Um, you know, like I share openly now that I suffer with depression. Um, at once upon a time, I wouldn't have done that. And in fact, you've inspired me to do that. Um, but yeah, we have an awful long way to go um, yeah. as far as recognising that mental illness is a disability and depression can look like someone with a smiley face mm -hmm. or somebody like Spike Milligan, who's a comedian, or um, Tony Hancock, another comedian um, who took his own life, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these people were extraordinarily funny, but they were suffering on a daily basis. Yeah, and the fact that people hide their illness says mm. that we have a long way to go in reducing yeah. stigma, that people feel like they need to hide an illness from their friends and family, work colleagues and society in general. Yeah, it's not good, is it? No. Um, yes, yeah, so we're sort of discussing that. Rachel, you were going to ask a question. Yeah, I mean, talking about stigma, what, what sort of stigma do you think that people with bipolar face and how do you think that we as, as a society can help to overcome this? 
Yeah, there's a lot of stigma about bipolar and mental illness in general. And I find that people often joke about bipolar, like it's funny, mm-hmm. um, and they make assumptions about what it is. Um, there's an assumption that we're crazy, that we're insane, that we're dangerous, and, and those sort of narratives are really hurtful. Mm-hmm. Um, some people, like we were talking about before, um, Susie, that you know, people seem surprised that, I'm, that I present as a well person. It's like they almost don't believe that there's anything wrong with me. Because um, it's it's like they're not thinking that okay she's out because she's well when she's not well she's not actually going to be out mm. like this it's like they can't see the other side and it's, right. it's almost like they want mm. me to walk around being different so that you know visibly different so that they can accept that I have something going on for me and mm. I just think that when someone's physically sick you don't expect the same thing so mm. I don't understand why we expect that from someone who's mm. mentally ill. Um, so I think there needs to be a lot of early public education about mental health disorders and, and what they are and what you can do to support someone. Um, and I think that when people have knowledge, they can do something with that. With ignorance, it just makes people assume things. So mm. I'd like to see more representation, in more positive re- representation mm-hmm. of people with bipolar disorder in public spaces mm. and on the screen. And I think when people see that we are dynamic and not crazy, that that changes their perspective mm. about us um, mm. and there needs to be like just much greater acceptance about mental illness and more open conversations with us so that we can help people to modify workplaces, schools, businesses and public spaces to be more inclusive for people with a mental illness. Mm. And one of the big ways that that can happen is to allowing us to share our stories um, because being ridiculed and being dismissed is has, it has been something that I've experienced when I've shared my story, and that's why I believe we need to have you know programs like this that allow people to share the real experience mm-hmm. um, and to be seen and to be heard. And that's why I'm so mm-hmm. grateful that you've you know had me on the show today because mm-hmm. that really helps me, and I know that it will help other people as well. Mm-hmm. So Sally, um, what is living with bipolar like for you? Um, I guess the best way I can describe it, it's like sometimes walking around on a really dark night with a small torch that randomly stops working. Um, And then other times it's like walking around on a stage with lights so bright on my face that I can't see the audience. And in between that, there's these moments that the light is like a sunset sky and everything feels all right. And so for me, it's a scary and strange and remarkably mind-boggling experience. Um, I watch my own mind go between all these different places. It's sort of like up and down like a yo-yo and it can be really exhausting and very confusing. And I feel like I need to be on high alert all the time for sudden mood, mood changes. Um, and so because of that, I can get confused often um, and get kind of tangled in this web of confusion as I try to figure out at what level my own mind is operating at and more importantly, what I need to do to get back to being calm and balanced. Well, that sounds definitely difficult to deal with. Um, would you have any advice or, for anybody or any one of our listeners who suspect that either they or someone they know may have bipolar as well? Yeah, definitely. I think the first thing would be to, to tell someone in your life mm-hmm. if you feel that you may have it. Um, and if you feel someone else in your life might have it, go and talk to them about it and offer to get support for them. Um, And then obviously the first step would be to see a medical health practitioner and talk about it, um, find out about getting assessed. Uh, And then once that happens, if you are diagnosed with bipolar, then it's all about creating as as much support around you as you possibly can. So finding good practitioners that you like um, and stick with them and 
make agreements that you're going to keep going back and seeing those people mm-hmm. because they ha- they're there to help you, but also connecting with other people who have bipolar. So there's support groups and online groups and there's phone lines. There's lots of different avenues out there to, to connect with other people who have bipolar. And I think that's a very useful thing to share strategies and just to be there for each other. Um, and also creating your own solid management plans about what, what am I going to do if I feel depressed? What am I going to do if I feel manic? You know, what do I need around me to support me and, and get some really solid plans in place? I have mm. a number of friends who know that if they think that I'm not well, they call my sister and my sister talks to me. So mm. I have solid plans in place so that other people are watching me and making sure that I'm okay. So it's not just all about me identifying what's happening to me. It's about my community identifying and, and helping me to seek help. And my biggest advice would just be create support and seek help as much as you can. And yeah. you'll find that a whole world of opportunities and connections will open up to you because people who experience mental illness often feel lonely and isolated. And when someone else says, hey, i got a mental illness too, it's you get really mm. um, bonded with each other. And I think that's that's a really important part of survival. And I know like having Susie as, as my friend and being able to message her and being able to connect is really important for me to know that there's someone else out there who understands mm. how I'm feeling. So that's that's crucial. Support and help is crucial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you, Sally. Um, Sally, we're going to be running out of time shortly, so we could talk, I think, for another half an hour at least without stopping on this important subject, and we may um, uh, do so again in the future. Um, So we're just going to say a huge thank you and really genuinely, Sally, for you taking the time to share your story. Um, We hope our listeners are able to take hope and perhaps utilise some of the ways Sally manages her condition in order to lead a fulfilling life. And Sally really does lead a fulfilling life. Um, We hope you have found this program useful and can find strength through Sally's story. Don't forget that there is help available should you need it. Lifeline can be contacted on 131114, Suicide Callback Service on 1300 659 467 and Beyond Blue on 1300 226636. Wellways who run this program will also provide you with further information on support services and resources. You can contact them on 1300 111400. Thanks to our team today. What a great discussion. You can find more of our shows at our website, brainwaves.org.au or on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au or on iTunes. Feel free to send us feedback or suggestions for shows via brainwaves at wellways.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week at 5pm for another episode of Brainwaves. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.